My name is Justin. It's good to have you guys here. Happy Thanksgiving weekend. Thanks for coming. Thanks for uh, those of you whose family dr- drug you here, um, as always happens on Thanksgiving weekend. Um, we've been in a series on the book of James. The book of James is a, uh, a book in the New Testament, and this series has been really focused on the way that we interact with other people, the way that we um, love our neighbor, um, which has been a really a big emphasis of our whole year as a church. We've really been focusing in on what it means to love our neighbor as ourself. And as we move into James 5, we, we move out of really the horizontal relationships that we've been focusing on and how to love our neighbor well and be a, a humble servant. And we move into the way that we see God. And I have to be honest, as we start this today, this passage makes me uncomfortable. It makes me uncomfortable because it bumps into those little boundaries that I've put up in my mind um, that, that are the status quo of what I expect and I want to see happen in my life. And it makes me uncomfortable when I read this um, in many different ways. There's a good chance as we hear these words that it's going to make you uncomfortable too. Um, and that's, that's okay. That's actually good. Um, if you're reading the Bible and not getting uncomfortable every now and then, then you're not reading the Bible. <laughs> you're going to bump into some stuff like that, and that's fine. The scriptures were never meant to be a textbook that we master, that we know everything about it, but they're meant to be understood as a story. And it's not just a story that we're invited into, a story that is our greater story. It's a story that serves as a mirror Uh, that helps us see who we really are. It it gives us a a clear and sometimes uncomfortable picture of what's happening in our own hearts, in our own souls. You know when you like go to a hotel or maybe you have a mirror like this at your house that the lights are extremely bright, like brighter than you're normally uh, accustomed to and you walk in and you see yourself for the first time in that really bright mirror and you see all those like bad things that you normally would not see because the light's so bright and you're like, <laughs> whoa, need to comb that hair or something like that. Not my experience, but I'm sure that may be for somebody. It's like that. The Bible sometimes, it gives you this experience of showing you who you are for better or for worse. And really that's why it makes me uncomfortable because if we're brave enough to take a look at this passage and really see it for what it is, it's not uncomfortable because we don't understand it. It's uncomfortable because I think, at least in part, it's pretty easy to understand. It's pretty easy to understand what's happening in this passage. And as we have often forget when we're writing the New Testament, when we're reading the New Testament letters, these are written to actual people in an actual place, in an actual time. This isn't just abstract theology. This is a real people, a church, a community, just like ours, probably not that different. It's a mix of rich and poor and different backgrounds, different understandings, all coming together under the name of Jesus and having this letter written as a way for them to understand more of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. And so as James is writing this to these first century marginalized Jewish Christians, he's doing so encouraging them to practice this life together in a way that sometimes is not very easy. And so let's look at this in James chapter 5. It's going to be on the screen. If you have a Bible or your phone, whatever it may be, read along with us here. He says, is anyone among you suffering? He should pray. 
Is anyone cheerful? He should sing praises. Is anyone among you sick? He should call for the elders of the church, and they will, are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer of faith will save the sick person, and the Lord will raise him up. If he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is very powerful in its effect. Elijah was a human being as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the land. And then he prayed again, and the sky gave rain, and the land produced its fruit. So let's break down what we're, we're, we're looking at here, and then we'll talk about some of the implications of that. But we, we need to understand first, as I was saying, we're, we're, we're hearing a letter to a community of believers, and as marginalized Jewish Christians in the first century, they would not have fit anywhere. On one side, we have the Roman oppressors who are, whole, are kind of lording over them. They definitely don't fit in that polytheistic, very different culture, but they also don't fit among their fellow Jews because as Christians, as this new sect of believers, they definitely would not have been welcome among the people of, of, the, of their Jewish heritage. And so they really had no place to fit. It was a really hard life for them in many ways. And so James and encourages them in the midst of this struggle, in the midst of their heartache, are you suffering? What are you supposed to do? Pray. Are you happy? Well, sing. Sing it out. Sing. Which is praising God when we sing. This is, this is prayers that we're singing out every single week. That's what we're doing. We're responding to God in song. We are praying to him, asking him to prepare the way of our hearts. Are you sick? Have the leaders of your church pray over you. All of this making us abundantly clear about this community in this marginalized society that they lived in, their first response in every season and circumstance, the first response in life is prayer. And what this understands about their understanding of God is the most important thing for us to grasp today. It's God was not their lucky charm. God was not this sort of hobby horse, backup plan, sort of, I get out of jail free when it starts to get hard and then I go to pray for him. No, the reason prayer is first for this community is because in every season and circumstance, they believe that God is not some abstract, uh, distant deity living far away, but he is a living, intimate presence in their everyday lives. And not only was he present with them, he was present and for them. He was the God who was for their good and loved them deeply, present for their wholeness, present for their restoration. And it's at this point that we could have this conversation, have this sermon turn into basically, here's, here's six easy steps to having a better, more prayerful life. Um, or, or we could do, you know, some sort of pragmatic way, or, or maybe I could guilt you into saying, man, you know what? These people they prayed a lot. You, you should pray more. Let's pray. But that doesn't do anything, does it? Like just being told, like, you should pray. Of course, everybody knows. And even people who are not really religious would, would probably agree. Maybe pray more or want to, to pray more. I guarantee you there's no one in here right now that thinks, man, I'm really getting a hang on this prayer thing and I'm doing great. Don't need to pray anymore. Anybody like that? Any perfect people? 
Okay, good. I'm like that. Like, I feel like I'm not that great at prayer. But what James is telling us is not that a guilt trip of how we should pray more, or even six easy steps to pray. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is, is that our life and our prayer is a direct representation of our hearts. That's what we've learned in James. Everything comes out of our hearts, which means for us that our prayer lives right now are a direct reflection of how we understand God. And so if we find ourselves living prayerless lives or living prayer light lives or, or praying sporadically, the problem is almost never strategy. It's almost never the fact that we can't figure out how to get this prayer thing. It is an issue of theology. It's an issue of how we actually see God. Because what it reveals is that maybe... We may believe in our head that God is here and he's present and he answers prayer and he listens, but in our hearts, what we really believe is that he's kind of far away and he doesn't really have anything to do with what's happening in our lives. And nowhere is this clearer than in the next, in, in first century uh, situation like sickness is, is rough, right? This is the first century. This isn't like going down to Rite Aid and getting the, the, the latest medicine that's happening. In the first century, if you got sick, that's trouble. And not only that, in the first century, a lot of times in religious cultures, and still some, to some sense today, a lot of religious cultures believe that if you are sick, it's a sign of God's judgment. That God, you must be sinning or you must be wrong if you are sick. Anybody heard that before? You may have grown up in a situation like that. There is a stigma that God must be angry if you, if you are sick. So, so not only that, medicine and treatment, if it was available, was usually only available to the wealthy. And it was very likely that this early church group was almost entirely a group of poor people who did not have access to the type of luxury that medicine and treatment would be. So the reality is, is that James encourages them to bring their sicknesses to the elders of the church to be prayed for because that was their only hope in that moment. When they say elders of the church, that's, those are the spiritual leaders of the time. Kelly mentioned earlier, she's an elder. and We, we have elders in our church, and we're going to be talking about that in January in, in more, um, more detail because I'm excited about that, about having healthy leadership structure in our church, but we're not going to talk about that today. We're going to keep talking about this. So they, they, they anoint you with oil. Now, unless you're uh, essential oil lady, this is like essential oil ladies, like, uh, no offense, essential oil ladies. I know you're in here. It's like your life first here because you get to anoint people with the oil, with your essential oils. Um, but unless you're like that, like, you, does anybody just walk around anointing people with oil on a regular basis? Maybe you do. I don't. Um, I eat a lot of oil in the form of olive oil and butter, but I do not anoint a lot of people with oil. And so this is not a cultural thing that we typically do. And so we have to kind of take a step back and ask what's actually happening as these elders are anointing uh, the people with oil, because it's not a modern practice. So Jewish believers, when they anointed someone with oil, it was a very incredibly religiously significant thing to do. Because in the Old Testament, they would take oil and they would anoint people who were set apart for God. 
So people like prophets and kings, people who were really important for what God was about to do in the story. And so whenever that happened, they would anoint these people with oil because they were special, set apart, holy, reserved for only the people that God was genuinely going to use in huge ways. God's favor was on them. They were special. So so taking that reality back into the New Testament, imagine some of these poor, ordinary, marginalized believers brought to the elders and anointed with oil. What does that say? It says that God's power and God's favor isn't reserved for the few isn't reserved for the high and mighty, isn't reserved for the powerful, that God's power and God's favor is present and available to ordinary people like us. That's beautiful, isn't it? When they're anointing these sick people with oil, they're not saying God's judgment is on you. They're saying God's favor is on you, even in your sickness and brokenness, even as you are in your weakness. Gosh, I love that. I love that so much. Paul tells us in Romans 8, he says that the same spirit who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in us, which if that is true, that should be at least of a little bit of a difference in us, wouldn't you imagine? If that is true, that that same power, that same presence is available to us in Jesus, there should be some sort of markable difference in our lives as a result. It's why James finishes this passage we looked at with these, these kind of interesting verses. He says, Elijah was a human being as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the land. And then he prayed again, and the sky gave rain, and the lamb produced its fruit. So if you don't know who Elijah is, he's this Old Testament uh, uh, prophet that is very prominent in Jewish belief. Elijah was someone who experienced a lot of supernatural things. He raised people from the dead. He was fed by birds, which I think would be pretty fun to be fed by birds. He called down fire from heaven to consume an offering, and James's point is there is nothing that is available that was available to Elijah that's not available to you. Now that should make you a little uncomfortable because if that's true, think of the implications of if that is true, that the same power and presence and favor of God on this amazing Old Testament prophet, and he was just a human being like us, then ordinary people like you and me, not just the pastors, not just the elders, all of us have that power available to us by the Holy Spirit. That's good news. I don't want a church that's just the select few get to operate. I want a church where everybody gets to play, you know? where everybody gets a chance on the court. Some of them were were likely, this church that James is writing to, part of the Acts 2 church in Pentecost. This was in Jerusalem. And in Acts 2, it tells us about this. He says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with all and many wonders and signs were being performed among the apostles. Signs and wonders 
and healings. Now, I don't know about you, but I feel simultaneously when I hear this, two different feelings. I feel this sense that, man, I really want that. Man, I want that. I want to see, I mean, is anybody against people getting healed? I'm, I'm pro-healing, right? Like, I'm for signs and wonders. I would love to experience that in our church, that that would be a normal aspect of our lives, that it would not be the exception, but the supernatural would be something that we experience. That's what I feel on one side. And the other side over here is I am really cynical. Anybody else? I am very, very cynical. It's one of the things I really don't like about myself sometimes. I... I feel fear because I think about the caricatures and the bad examples. And I think about the TV preachers with pink hair. And I think, I don't want to be that. I think about people who've made a spectacle out of the supernatural, who've taken this beautiful gift of the Holy Spirit and turned it into something that it absolutely is not. And on top of that, I have relationships with people who have been deeply hurt by this sort of supernatural thing being used in unhealthy ways. And it's caused a lot of damage. Or maybe you've been inspired by, by people been healed, but then you've also seen the fact that some people, they don't get healed despite prayer. I've been on both sides of this, friends. I've had family members that were miraculously healed, and I've had people and friends that I, we have prayed for and prayed for and prayed for and They weren't healed. And so we have to have some sort of framework for understanding this. If we're going to operate and experience the supernatural, we have to understand the framework through which we see this. Because otherwise, we can go in some incredibly unhealthy places. And we don't want that. So what I want to talk about here as we, as we move towards the end here is, is understanding this hard topic through the lens of what theologians call the already and the not yet. This is how they explain our reality in terms of where we live in our times. Because of Jesus, we live in what they call overlapping times. So the future has crashed into the present. Um, with Jesus coming and his, his triumph over sin, check out this picture on the screen here. With his triumph over sin, the kingdom of God has been inaugurated on earth as it is in heaven. It's here But it's not fully here. You see, we live in that space between when Jesus first came, what we celebrate in Christmas, and when Jesus will come again and put an end to Satan and sin and death once and for all. And us, we live in that overlap. We live in between the times. It's why healing sometimes happens. It's why miracles sometimes happen, but it's also why sometimes they don't. The best picture I know of this is to talk about the, the, the World War II examples of D-Day and V-Day. You see, most historians, if you look on the screen here at this picture, this is a picture of D-Day I'm sure you're very familiar with. Most historians will tell you that the battle there at Normandy that day as they stormed the beach and won this battle, that turned the tide of the war. That was the thing that was the beginning of the end of the axis of evil as they were taken down by the Allied forces. It did not win the war outright, but it essentially won the war. Now, 11 months later was V-Day. 
The day that there was finally victory over the forces of, 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 of Germany and Japan. And that was the day that they celebrated that, yes, we have officially won the war. The war is over. But guess what? There was 11 months in between D-Day and V-Day that the war and the battle continued. Even though it was essentially won, that everything had been overcome, the day of full and final victory was still ahead. And in between, there was still death. There was lots of victory, but there was also heartache. There was lots of experiences of overcoming, but there was still heartache and death. And even though the war was won, the, the battle continued to rage on until full and final victory was secured. You see, friends, this is our spiritual reality. We live spiritually between D-Day and V-Day because of what Jesus has done on the cross. And because of his resurrection, we have victory over Satan and sin and death once and for all. But the fullness of that victory won't be fully realized until he returns and puts an end to death and sin once and for all. And so in the meantime, our job is to, is to live in that tension between the already and the not yet. To expect that God can move and will move, but to know at the same time the battle still rages and evil still exists. And we have to be very careful to not live in the extremes. One extreme is to believe that God heals everyone or you don't have enough faith. Probably some of you in this room have been a part of churches and experiences like that. Like he has to heal everybody. He promised and he's going to heal everybody. And if you don't have enough faith, that's the reason. Because God wants it every single time. That's an extreme. And you see James, when he tells us the prayer of faith will heal, the prayer of faith is not faith in your faith. The prayer of faith is faith in God. Meaning I have faith that even if he doesn't heal, that he is good and he's bringing about good. That's the real prayer of faith that James is talking about. Not the belief that he heals every single person every single time and I just need to find a way to get more faith. You don't need to get more faith. There's no such thing as getting more faith putting your faith in the right thing. A little bit of faith in the right thing is better than a lot of faith in the wrong thing. So just having that little bit of faith is all we're called to have. One thing, and we realize that that's the extreme, and it's an extreme because we see Jesus weeping with those who died. We see him in the middle of our struggles when there is pain and sin and death. When we ask where God is in our suffering, we know clearly that God is with us. He's weeping with us. He's mourning with us. He has experienced the same pain and heartache, dying the worst death that anyone could possibly die, isolated from, from God and from his friends there on the cross. He knows heartache. He knows struggle. He knows pain and death, and he weeps with you. And that in and of itself is a miracle. But then there's the other extreme. The other extreme is, is that Operate and live as if the supernatural altogether is something that you hold at an arm's length. Now, there's religious versions of this. There's cessationists that believe that the Holy Spirit stopped when we got the Bible. Um, the only problem with that belief is the Bible. 
uh, which says the exact opposite. But what we're more prone to, I would argue, especially in our community, is we're more prone to this belief that we believe in it, but we are just not there yet. And so we kind of hold it at an arm's length. It's like when I grew up, I did not grow up in a church that was very charismatic. It was like, I told people, it's like we believe in the Holy Spirit like we believed in grizzly bears. Like they exist, but they're not around here. You know, it's something we admire from afar. Um, and so I, I, I grew up in that reality. Um, and so I was trained in a sense to hold what God could do in the supernatural at a very different place, an arm's length. And, and I, I would argue probably that many of you are in that boat today. That you probably believe it can happen, but, but to live as if that can be a reality, not just in a room like this on a weekend, but in your own everyday life, I, I confess, friends, from, from, from most of my life, that's been me. I believe in it. I celebrate it when I hear about it. But for me, I just hold up. And, and it goes back to what we were talking about earlier in that our prayer lives are a direct representation of what we believe about God. You see, it's very possible for us to be functional atheists because we live as if God exists and we say we believe it, but we, we are so independent of him that he might as well not be real. We don't even go to him in prayer because we don't really need him. We live independently of him. And, and I don't know about you, but I want to believe that God is present and his power is available to me and to you now. And if I believe that, then my prayer life should be a response to that, right? Does that make sense? My prayer should be a response to that. Our mission, even as a church, is that we believe that Jesus is restoring people who restore our world. And our mission is to join him. And so as, as we do this, as we do things like Pampering Pathways, as we work with the Revive Life House, all the different ministries that we've done throughout the year and, and serving our city, um, those are all amazing. They're bringing about restoration in other people's lives, in our lives. But, but I've been convicted this week that, man, if, if we can do this without God, and, and we can, then it's not God's mission. If we can do it without God, it's not God. If it's human strategy, if we're just doing this by natural means, if we're just serving people because that's what we should do and not out of the overflow of what God is doing in us, if we can accomplish it apart from the power of God, it's not the mission of God. It's just not. We need more than that. So if you are one of my cynical brothers and sisters in here today, and inwardly your eyes are rolling extremely hard right now, I just want you to know I I'm there. I understand. I get it. But I, I don't want to lead from cynicism. And I don't want to look back from eternity and see how many doors that I closed that God was trying to open. Just because I was afraid and just because I was cynical and just because I was worried about my reputation and no, I don't want to live in fear. And I don't want to live in cynicism. I don't know about you. I just don't. Francis Chan, to close, puts it this way. He says, the world is not moved by love 
or actions that are of human creation. And the church is not empowered to live differently from any other gathering of people without the Holy Spirit. But what believers live, when believers live in the power of the Spirit, the evidence in their lives is supernatural. The church cannot help but be different, and the world cannot help but notice. I love that. So to close today, I want to invite up one of our other elders, Lord Marie. She's going to come up, and we're going to talk just briefly about something that the Lord's been laying on our heart in this reality, in this mindset. And from the beginning, um, Laura Marie has been someone who holds our feet to the fire about prayer, which I'm so grateful for. Um, I mean, in a good way, I promise. Yeah, we need it. We need that. And so what we've uh, been asking and praying about is really um, how to make our, not only as we gather, but just as our church, we want to be a more prayerful church, a more expecting church of God's movement among us. And so as we go out and we serve, that we have the the reserves out of what God is already pouring in us, we give to other people. So talk to us a little bit about kind of what you've been. Yeah, um, as Justin said, um, just creating a community that not just values prayer, but actually does it. Um, And that starts with the individuals, right? I mean, if individuals in here don't have a heart for prayer, then... We can't, we can't have a prayer team, obviously. Um, so, I mean, just personally, you know, prayer is just one of these things that I, I mean, yeah, it's like I'll have moments where I'm, this is boring, or I've, <laughs> what am I going to have for dinner? Like, my mind can drift from, from Christ while I'm praying, but when I just kind of forgive myself and put my eyes back on Jesus and ask him to... Um, Show me how to pray when I listen, when I'm waiting on God. Um, And I I think that's really my challenge today. Like this first step for us as individuals, like in your individual prayer life, where I've very much this polluted supernatural term, you know, God's power existed before the word supernatural. So it's just kind of, it's moot, you know. So in your individual prayer life, just ask God to posture your heart in such a way that you're, you're listening to him, that, um, you know, that there's so many different types of prayer. You, you, and yes, you got to let him know, you got, you know, you're, he's counseling you. You got to tell him about this relationship or this family member or this sin. Like, yes, you have to do that, but create a time where you're just listening to the Lord and just waiting on him and not just waiting with the, that faith that we're, that we're talking about. Ask him to give you that faith of expectancy of, Lord, if you're putting this in my heart to pray and speak back to you, then I'm standing on that, mm-hmm. and you're going to take care of that. And it's like Justin said, it doesn't always mean people walk out of a wheelchair. It doesn't always mean a, the dying are come alive. It, it means that's up to God, right? God is sovereign, and that's up to him. Mm-hmm. Um, but that doesn't mean we, we scoot away from it. Like, let's, let's be bold and come forward with this. Um, and, I, and I, I think more like ordinary and unprepared. And I feel ordinary and unprepared every week when my three kids drive me nuts and I'm screaming at them as we're getting our coats to go to church. But, you know, getting here and sitting in the presence of the Lord and just being humbled in that, of just like, I sinned probably 10 times this morning, but 
he, he is using me and he will use me because there is no level of Christianity where you start being used. There is no level of like seminary training or worship, uh, whatever you might think that it is. Yep. There isn't that moment. Um, God's made, I mean, he's glorified in our weakness. His power is made perfect in our weakness. So I think he likes using the weak, the weak and unprepared better than and in, than anybody else. No offense, seminary people. Um, <laughs> but it's it's exciting. And if you're not doing it, please, like I challenge you, please listen to God. And I think the most significant thing is I, the vision for this community, how if you are listening to God, he's showing you how to pray for your friend. They can tell you their requests all day, this and that and this and that. But if you're really listening to God, what is the issue here, Lord? What, what is your heart for this person? That's supernatural. That's powerful. And it's simple. It's not all this crazy stuff. Well, you need to do this, this, and God said this. It's not like that. He is showing you how to pray, to talk to him about others. Um, and anyways, that's what I hope we're, you know, we're doing in the back. That's what I hope we're building in this prayer team. Um, if you have it on your heart, we meet for 30 minutes, 1015 to 1045 before this service. If the first service is down here, we meet up there. If it's up there, we meet down here. Um, if, if you have it on your heart to come, please be there next week. Uh, we just start right at 1015. If you're a minute late, just come in, sit down. You don't even have to speak a word, okay? You just pray silently in your heart. If you want to do that for 15 times, I don't care. Just there, and I know you're praying in your spirit and... Um, so yeah, if you feel led to come, please, please join us. Um, I really, I, yeah, this yeah. is something I really think God wants to do and I'm excited about, obviously. So. Yeah. Awesome. Amen. And it's why, oh, there's a microphone. We got something here. This terrifies me. So bear with me. I'm uh, terrified too. <laughs> he has no idea what's coming. Um, but the other, I wrote this down a week or so ago, and it just fits beautifully. Um, when you're praying, it gets frustrating because you don't see the results all the time. And so this is the shortest version, to always keep praying even when you don't see results. My parents are not Christians. They are anti-Christian. My mother even said that it would have been easier on her if I had died rather than becoming a Christian. They give lip service to God in times of stress, but the thought of Christ being Lord is completely offensive to them. They are condescending and belittling towards Christians. So what do I do? I pray. They've told me quite clearly that they don't want to hear about Christ, especially from me. So I keep praying. It gets really discouraging at times. A couple weeks ago, the Woolsey fire started. I'm sure you've heard about it. I kept an eye on coverage about it because from experience, I know that when fires start in that area, they head towards my parents' neighborhood. So I started praying, not for their safety or their house's safety, but what, that God would use this fire to bring them closer to Christ, that he would use it to get their attention. Has there been some thunderclap moment where their eyes have been opened? No, but I've seen God listening. They did need to leave the house on Thursday and Friday nights that week. When they came back on Saturday, the front door had been broken down. Their first thought was looters. The evidence they found showed that instead of looters, it was the firefighters. They found that trees in the backyard had caught fire and the roof was in the process of catching. 
In a text describing what they found, my mother stated, thank God for the firefighters. If I stopped here, I might say that at least she's recognizing God in time of emergency. But truly, this isn't that far out of the ordinary. In fact, I still see no softening of their hearts. What I do see is God listening to me. The ads, oh, sorry. The... What I do see is God listening to me. If we go back to what I prayed for, I was praying far too small. I was only praying for my family. As I watched the news coverage of the fire online, the videos are each preceded by an ad. Again, this is nothing out of the ordinary. What I found, though, was that God was listening to me. The ads were for Francis Chan. They were him advertising his new book. But what does this have to do with God listening to me? My parents didn't. But God put a preacher that I respect and gave exposure to him to people who were looking for details and updates on this fire. I prayed for God to use this fire to reach a few specific people. And here he is preaching to all. The encouragement that I received was incredible. He is listening. I may not see the results while I am alive on the earth, but he is listening and loves us more than we can comprehend. I was reminded that some of the people who prayed for me died before I accepted the truth of Christ, and I cannot wait to see them in heaven. Hmm. Wow. <laughs> Woo! Get more of your... More of your money's worth today, man. <laughs> what we wanted to do today is, um, is just do something a little different. Um, I brought enough oil for everybody. I'm just kidding. I didn't do that. <laughs> just want to see your face. I like freaking you out. Um, but we want to pray. Um, we're not going to sing a song. She's just going to play. Um, I think we're going to put a scripture on the screen. Um, our elders are going to be in the back if we can pray with you about anything. But what we just wanted to give you guys uh, some time to do, some space just to be still and to listen to what God might be saying to you or might want to do in you. And if you need prayer for anything, um, if you're sick, if you are, are spiritually uh, dry, broken, feeling the, the weight of everything, um, we would love to pray with you about anything that's going on. We'll be right back there in the back. Don't feel like getting up and getting prayer is weakness uh, around here. That's a sign of strength. That's a sign of, of life. And so as, as she plays and as we do that, even before we take communion together, we want to encourage you to do that. Just take a moment in this Thanksgiving craziness just to be still and to listen to God and to pray to Him. So wherever you are, whether you're new to faith, not even you know a believer, just be open as we were saying earlier. Let's just be open. So let's pray together. <clears throat>